high. After I hear something like that, I, I think of one scripture over and over, and it's in Isaiah, where it says, Woe to me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. And once we see the glory of the Lord and what he's doing around the nations, we just say, I am not worthy of, of anything that I'm presently doing, or even of anything that I will say today. I'm not worthy of these things. They are, they are great things. And I have a, a dream and a vision that everyone who hears my words today, particularly the ones in the back row, uh, because the ones in the back row, the Lord always wants to speak to you the most. I don't know why, but he does. I remember being at the Urbana 1977 uh, conference. I'm an old man. I'm 37 now. And I sat in the very, 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 very back row. And John Alexander welcomed all the delegates and he said, some of you in the last row, maybe even the last person who came into this place, the Lord wants to talk to you. And I was the last person that came into that auditorium and I was sitting as far away physically uh, possible away from him. And God changed my heart very much at that time. I went wondering why I went to a missions conference and left saying, Lord, I beg you, let me serve the nations. I beg you, I beg you, let me do it. I'm not worthy of doing it. Please let me do it. And uh, the nations are all over the place now. I used to think that the best work we could do was overseas. And I still think we need to go overseas. But the work is literally everywhere now. But I want to make some uh, introductory comments. And I'm going to make myself very comfortable. Uh, I didn't dress appropriately. It's too warm here, I think. Coming from Arizona, it's so hot that I thought maybe it would be cool here. So I, I uh, almost packed my long underwear to come here. Um, this is a holy place for me, and I, I'm very sincere when I say that. Uh, LABC, now Master's College, was uh, uh, a very important place for me. I, I, I didn't attend this university, but I came here many times to watch basketball games. This, at one time, this was the best, I don't know if it still is, maybe it is. You had the best floor in, in, the, uh, in the county or in the area, and I used to love to come here and play round ball in this gym. My brother played on the team here, sang in the reflections. Uh, my dad was the pastor from 1970 to 77 of Grace Baptist Church. And the church at that time, as the whole area was growing, the church did too. And from about 150, 200 people to 800 or 1,000 people in those seven years. And there was a man named Keith Lusk. Does anybody know Keith? Keith Lusk. A book should be written about this brother. Uh, he was my college pastor at Grace Baptist Church. And I had a high school pastor who was full of fun and vim and vigor, and we, we did all kinds of goofy things. And Keith was a scholar, and uh, he was our college pastor. When I graduated to the college area, I thought this was going to be really boring. And uh, in some ways it was, <laughs> and really good for my soul. And that man taught me a lot of things, and he really loved me a lot. And he graduated from this university with the very highest honors, this college, the very highest honors, went to Papua New Guinea and died a few years ago uh, at the age of 34. And that man moved my life. And I, as I ride my bike to campus, I've thought of Keith Lusk many times. I've outlived my college pastor now. And he gave his life to serve in uh, Papua New Guinea. The other man is Clyde Whitby. Anybody here know Clyde? Clyde Whitby? He was the father-in-law of Keith, and he, after 50 years of faithfully working in Singer Corporation, left his job there, said, Lord, I've, I've had Bible studies at this company, I've done all kinds of things, but now I want to go and do 
as much as I possibly can with the remainder of my years. And he quit his wonderful job, lived in Valencia, a beautiful house there, and uh, went to LABC at that time, and uh, went to Papua New Guinea with his wife, the age of 50, 52, and uh, served the Lord there. These are heroes of the faith for me. And those of you who are history majors, please do a study on Keith Lusk. Send it to me, please. Please do a study on Clyde Whitby. These are heroes of the faith, and they're from your flock. And they have blessed my life, and I love them very much. Look forward to seeing Keith again. Those are my introductory remarks. They're kind of sobering ones. But out of your midst will rise up those in the back row to serve the Lord, and in the front rows, and in every row to serve the Lord greatly, for he is greatly to be praised. Now, I want to talk about something uh, about the mission field, in a sense. And as I understand it, this might be an optional, is this an optional chapel for you? Well, thank you for coming. As you know, in the Bible, missions is not optional. It is commanded for all to go forth. And today I want to talk about missions, but in a different kind of way. I hope I can capture your attention. And I hope that every one of you, as I imagine that some of you belong to different churches, different places around the country, that you will go back and you will radically change the mission approach of your churches. That's my hope. 500 students, 400 students, whatever we have today, I hope that each one of you in your lifetime will radically change the perspective of missions in your church and actually around the world. Missions can be divided into two categories, over there and over here. Ray Bakke in his book, The Urban Christian, writes that first there is the traditional mission to people who are geographically distant from us. The second category of missions is to people culturally distant from a church but living under the shadow of its spire. However large the number of those unreached by the gospel in traditional mission fields, it seems likely that there are many more millions on churches' doorsteps in the cities. And then Ray Bakke notes, the existing churches will not reach those huge and rapidly growing populations without cross-cultural missions at home. This morning I arrived a little bit early and I walked on the backside of your campus and there is a mountain there and there's a little dirt path and it was great to see the city. It was great to see the city below the mountain, the barrio as well. And you know, the Lord wept two times in his life, only two times that we know of. One, at the death of his friend Lazarus. And the other time, at the impending death of Jerusalem. And he wept for that city. And he wept for that city. So he knew that they were sheep without a shepherd. Little chicks without a mother hen. And he wept for that city. And we cannot do ministry in this world unless we weep for the city. And I hope this week, as you go far and wide doing different projects, I hope that each one of you, every single last one of you, will walk up that hill and you will weep for the city on the other side. I pray that you will weep for the city on the other side. Because you cannot do ministry down the road unless you go up that hill and weep for the city that's right here. The city where I... Oops, I promised to mark back there. I wouldn't do that. Sorry. We, I played Tarzan here for a second. Uh, we cannot do ministry far and wide unless we do it right here. And God needs to burden us for the barrio, for Newhall, for Valencia, for Saugus, for Canyon Country, for the places where I lived uh, a long time ago. We need to be burdened and weep for those places as Jesus did. Churches who have been sending missionaries to India and Pakistan for centuries now need help. 
working with Indians and Pakistanis in London, in Los Angeles. The la- uh, last March, I attended a conference of 10,000 English teachers from around the world in Long Beach. Maybe some of you were there, I don't know. And they came from over 100 countries. And it was interesting that in the surrounding area of Long Beach, in the greater area, every one of those countries were represented by immigrant populations. The shuttle driver who took me from the conference hotel to the airport after that conference picked me up at around 5.30 in the morning. I was his only passenger, and I got in, and I was exhausted. I had meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings and uh, attended sessions and all these kinds of things. Had my bags, and I heard an accent, which is not unusual with a shuttle or taxi driver. And I just said, where are you from? And he was from Iran. And I thought, well, praise God. We have been praying in my city that we might be able to start a Persian church. And I'm working on this with some others, too. We're praying to start a Persian church. And so I said, and I I know that there are Persian churches in Los Angeles. And so I thought, the Lord has brought me to Iran. The Lord has brought me to Iran right now. So I'm in Iran, and I started praying for this guy. And I became a learner. This is always the best approach with dealing with foreign students, internationals. Become a learner and learn about them. And I asked him all kinds of questions about, you know, what's he, what's he doing now? What are his dreams and hopes? And, oh, he just flowed out with all of the sorrows and troubles and joys and aspirations of his life. And I, I found out that there were, according to this gentleman, over 700,000 Iranians living in the Southern California area. They have a phone book thicker, a Persian phone book thicker than the city of Tempe of 160,000 people that live there. I thought, wow, what an opportunity uh, you know, it's hard to go to Iran now as a missionary, but look at what the Lord has done right in our own backyard. So I asked him, near the end of the trip, we could see the airport, and I said, may I pray for you? May I ask God to bless your life? And he said, would you please do that? So I said, keep driving, and I'll, I'll pray. And so we, I prayed for this man, and I, I just poured my heart into to this prayer to the Lord for this guy. And as we got out of the shuttle, he gave me a big hug and he said, now I know why some of my Iranian friends are becoming Christians. And I walked away and I thought, all I did was listen to this guy and pray a blessing on his life. And now he's thinking about the Lord of hosts. That's all I did. I was a missionary to Iran for 30 minutes. So I reached into my wallet and I gave a modestly, modestly generous tip. I didn't want to uh, uh, bias him towards the faith, just a nice tip. And I went home and I had a large group of people praying for this man. I pray that I will see him in eternity. But this is the opportunity. When I went to Washington, D.C. to visit embassies, over and over and over, I had taxi drivers. I was always disappointed when I had an American taxi driver, not an immigrant taxi driver. So, nah, I'll take the next one. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> And I, and I prayed with taxi driver after taxi driver, may I bless you, may I, and I listened to them, and there was, a, there was a fellow from Egypt who had been discriminated against, he was a minority population, and we just talked, and after the ride, we talked for 20 more minutes in his taxi, and we prayed together, and I got out and then went to the embassy, the same embassy that has people that discriminate against this man, and then laid my hands on the embassy before I went in and prayed for that embassy, because you know when you go to an embassy, you're on sovereign territory. You're in that country. And, you know, this isn't uh, anybody's country anyway. This is the Lord's territory. And everywhere we walk is His. 
Now, these aren't my little glory stories. These are the stories of people of faith all over the world who are seeing something marvelous. That right here, as you turn here and as you turn here, you are running into people that are the most unreached peoples of the world. And they're right here. And what's really great, too, is that when a Chinese becomes a believer here and they go home, they take the gospel to their family and their friends. When an Iranian becomes a believer here and their family comes to visit them here, they share the gospel with them. And it expands and it grows and it develops and it is a wonderful thing. But I, can, I venture to say that we will not finish the easy task of world evangelization. It's not a hard task. It's an easy task. But we all have to be a, a part of it. But we will not finish that until we turn around and welcome those who have come to our shores. The Lord has invested a lot of time and a lot of energy and a tremendous amount of resources to bring those people here. Don't mess it up. He's done this thing and he's serious about it. Don't mess it up. They're right here. Seize the day. Take advantage of this. And may our churches be... Do you have these in this area? IHOP? Do you have IHOP? International House of Pancakes? This is God's model for every church to be an IHOP. An international house of prayer for the nations. And when Solomon prayed, and it's the longest prayer, one of the longest prayers in the Bible, and he prayed that the temple would be a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus echoes that many years later in the New Testament. A house of prayer for all the nations. Now look at your church very carefully. Does it look like that? Have we welcomed them in? Have we laid down our lives in our own churches? We must do that. We must do that. We must do that. We can do that. And we ought to do that. We have to do that. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I, I uh, have done something uh, uh, as a lover to my Lord, and I will not do this for you because you are not my Lord, and I, I'd be embarrassed, but uh, I have taken many parts of the Bible and I put them to music and sing them. And I, I started doing this with my kids as we were going through the hymn book and I found that a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, and what's a bulwark, and Lord Sabaoth, his name, what's that? And, you know, it became very hard with the, these little kids of mine to explain these things. So I said, okay, let's take the Psalms and we'll sing them. And we started to sing the Psalms. We have about 200 rents hymns now. And uh, these invigorate my life. These are, this is how I date Jesus and write poems to the Lord. The music that, or the poems that he gave, I sing it back to him. And this is a song. Uh, it's not a song, it was a speech by Paul. But it's actually something that I, I sing almost every day as I go to school. I won't sing it for you, I'll just say it for you. But it's from Acts 17. These words speak today as they did. They resonate today as they did 2,000 years ago when Paul said them. Listen to these words from Acts 17 to the philosophers of Athens. From one man he made every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. From one man. Determine their pre-appointed times and the boundaries where they should live. And the boundaries where you are living now and the times that you are living. He has determined this. He has pre-appointed this. Why? Why? Why are you here now? Why do you have the boundaries that you have now? Why do the people around the world have the boundaries that they have now? And Paul continues. 
that they might seek him in the hope that they might find him. Oh, that they might find him. Well, Paul was speaking in a large uh, cathedral kind of situation. He had to speak like that. He didn't have this. Oh, that they might find him for he's not far away. And in him we live and in him we move and in him we breathe and in him we have our being. This is the unknown God that I proclaim to you. I know his name. I know he's true. This is the God I worship. From one man, all of you exist. Now, if God pre-appoints the times and places where people from the entire face of the earth live for the purpose that they might seek him in the hope that they might find him, for he's not far away, stand back and worship. He's in to a mighty strategy. The Most High God has placed you here and he has brought peoples from the, around the earth, pre-appointed this, given them boundaries right in your backyard. Why? So they might find him. Because in him, just like you, they might breathe. They might live. And in Jesus, they might have their being. He is not far away in their countries, and he's not far away here. But you know what? When international students come here, the chance of their meeting a Christian is very remote. Is God far away to international students when they come to the United States? Let's take an informal survey. I'd like to have you raise your hands if you will. If any of these statements apply to you. I know an international student. Raise your hand. Okay. Wow. I know an international person, not a student. There is a family from another country living in my neighborhood at home or apartment complex or dormitory. Uh, in my neighborhood, I have somebody from Iran, Iraq, Sri Lanka, the Czech Republic, Germany, Denmark, France, Italy, Nigeria, and Turkey. That's my neighborhood, just one block going around. It takes 10 minutes to walk around. I sometimes eat at ethnic restaurants where internationals also eat. Now, if you say Taco Bell, you have to put your hand down. <laughs> I have worked, co-worked with internationals. Wow. Internationals have married into my family or we have married into theirs. Wow. Awesome. In my family, we have first generation um, people have come into my family from Costa Rica, from Germany and Greece. And you know what? The Bible is full of these wonderful things. Four out of five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus were foreign. Four out of five were foreign. Two Canaanites and a Hittite and, ooh, and a Moabite. Thank you. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Only Mary. Four out of five doctors. Right? No. Okay. But four out of five were foreign. Four out of five were foreign. And in my family, this is true too. Actually, I married a stranger. It wasn't a Mooney wedding. You know the Mooney weddings where they marry strangers? But I married a stranger. Her name is Barbarian. Her name is Barbara. And in the Greek, it means Barbarian, a stranger. And she's from Germany, so it really fits. This is my life. This is my life. Okay. I have played sports with internationals. Please raise your hand. I played sports with internationals. Great. There are internationals at my church. Well, praise God. That's a great thing to behold. Your church is an IHOP. Great. We have a, I'm very proud. At our church, we have a Chinese deacon full of wisdom and full of grace. And we have a weekly international Bible study and other activities for internationals too. 
I have received goods or services from internationals. Yes? Great. A Chinese medical doctor from Boston visiting Chicago for just a week to go to a conference checked in on a little boy named Mark Rentz who was dying from spherocytosis when I was less than a year old, gave a radical idea to the doctor. They operated. He stayed. saved my life. The Lord God used a Chinese doctor in my life. I owe him. I owe him big. So do you. I have had international students in my classes in college or university or foreign exchange students in high school that I've met. My ancestors came from another country to the United States, which actually makes me an international too. All of you should have your hands up. Even our Native American uh, brothers and sisters, they're they're not uh, uh, original here. They immigrated a lot longer ago than my my, uh, grandparents did. We are all internationals. And that's why Jesus loves the stranger and says, love the stranger in your midst. Love them. And in Leviticus, it says to do the same thing. Love the sojourner in your midst, for I am the Lord your God. And you used to be strangers in Egypt, and I brought you out. Leviticus 19. Boom! Do it. Do it. It's a command. But you know, we should also do it because our Lord God, the Almighty One, who became flesh and dwelt among us, was a refugee to Egypt. Lived it probably in Cairo. Remember that? There's a little baby. They fled. The Lord our God. When he said, when you welcome a stranger, you welcome me, it happened to him. It happened to him. He knows about this. He loves strangers because he was a stranger too. And he was a stranger in a much more profound sense than that because he came into his own and his own did not receive him. Right? He was a stranger within a stranger within a stranger to us. Do not let that happen. The Lord does not want us to let that happen to others. So, before we take a prayer walk in Turkey, go around your own neighborhood. Before you take a prayer walk in South L.A., go up to the mountain and look over to those people. In my neighborhood, there's a mosque. As I mentioned, there are uh, 2,500, or as was mentioned, there are 2,500 non-immigrating internationals at my university from 132 countries. 1,500 immigrating, 500 language learners, and we can add and add and add to over 5,000 students. And uh, 11 years ago, a mosque was built by our campus. And I have to say, I was unhappy to see it there at first. But now I praise God for that mosque. And this is why. I can go to the Middle East all the time on prayer walks. And this is a, uh, I guess you call this the ethnic, excuse me, the ethnic restaurant ministry. <laughs> I like uh, shish kebab. I like Middle Eastern food. And so at various times, according to my schedule, my teaching schedule at the university and my administrative schedules, I will take some uh, students or others with me who I want to give a vision for the world. And we will go uh, to the Middle Eastern restaurant and we will park ourselves right by the window there. And we'll wave to my students who pass by to go to the mosque on Fridays. This is a Friday ministry. And they come in and they hug me and they kiss me. I love to kiss uh, uh, Arab men. Sounds funny, but something, <laughs> something really earthy about that. And, and greet them and say, Salam Alaikum. Alaikum Salam. Peace to you. Guess where they got that? They got that from us. Something that we've given up, they still retain. Let's get that back. Let's greet each other with love and affection and a greeting of peace. I love this greeting of peace. 
And they say, hey, you're in my neck of the woods. You're in my neighborhood. That's right. I love, I love Middle Eastern food. And they walk out there proud that their teacher, that their administrator or whatever, likes their food. And they go in and we order shish kebab. And that restaurant is really, it, it has a great personality but slow service, which is perfect for us. Because what we do is we order our shish kebab for about three bucks and some guava juice. And then we go and we walk around the mosque. And we don't walk with our hands up. Walk with our hands down, with our eyes open. And we say, Lord God Almighty, will you please release the sons and daughters of Ishmael from darkness? Will you please do this? And even the ones that are inside this mosque now, will you please release them from darkness into the light of Christ? And all the countries that they represent, then we start praying for countries that they represent. And we take a prayer walk on Fridays as a spiritual discipline to pray for the nations in a practical way, filling our stomachs and filling our hearts to pray for Muslims. Because if we didn't do that, we would forget to pray for Muslims. I know we would do that. We have coveted from season to season, depending on my work schedule at the university, to walk around the mosque to pray for Muslims. But it continues. We go back, we eat our shish kebab, we have a nice time, we build relationships with the owners there and some of the other people that are there. And then we go back to the mosque where we have parked our bicycles and locked them up at the bicycle racks in front of the mosque, just at the time that they come out of the mosque. And I say, hello, Khalid. Hello, Emira. Hello. And to the different people that I know, my students there. And we say, what did you do today? Oh, oh, I'd like to introduce you to my friend. And I'm introducing them and making bridges. And they know people I don't know, so we're introducing each other to each other. And they say, oh, we, you know, what are you doing here? Oh, we just had a wonderful shish kebab over there. Oh, was that great? Yes, it was wonderful. And we walk back together to the campus with these Muslims. Our Muslim half-brothers, not brothers, not brothers, but friends, soon to be brothers, we pray, and ask them, what did you do in the mosque today? And they tell us these things. And they say, well, what do you think about this, Mark? We know you're a Christian, and we have a chance to share. I tell you, we have gotten into the biggest, most wonderful talks walking back to the university of how God climbed into his painting and used an art image for them. They have a, a little difficulty with the triune God. And how Charlie Chaplin, Alfred Hitchcock, Jan Van Eyck, Rembrandt, Michelangelo, all of these artists put themselves into their painting and became central in their painting. They became uh, canvas. And they became paint in their, in their painting. And, you know, Picasso said once that everything he did was a self-portrait. And our God is like this too. So much that he came into the world like this. One director, one producer, one screenwriter, one actor. How many? One. Right? Three persons that came in as one. And they say, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> there are ways that we need to learn to communicate with them and to love them. But first, the strategy is, and I'm trying to model to my friends, is listen. Listen to them. We don't understand them and they don't understand us. And that's where we begin. But we're going to understand each other and love and honor and respect each other. And it's amazing, it's amazing how much I have learned and how much they have learned as well. So before we get on a plane, get in your car. Before you get on a jumbo jet, get on your bicycle. 
Before you raise $30,000 for a year, open your home to a sojourner for hospitality and spaghetti dinner. Simple cost of a meal. I, I don't want you to think that it's inappropriate to go overseas or that's a, a bad expense. That's not true at all. We've just begun to go. But who will stay and be my witness? Who will stay and be my witness? An intentional, focused, purposed witness. Who will stay to do that? Not just be here by default, but stay with a purpose to do this one thing. Who will stay and be my witness? And that's where our poor friend Isaiah was left. And where he said, woe is me, for I am undone. And he meekly said, here am I, Lord. Here am I. Prayer letters from home. Let us pray for sojourners who have come from their home countries to us. Before we lay down our lives overseas, lay them down here. Lay them down now. The missionary martyr Jim Elliott wrote in his journals, wherever you are, be all there. Great line, huh? One more time. Wherever you are, be all there. Now I'm an English teacher. Let's say it all together. Wherever you are, be all there. But we must know where we are. And you and I am in strategic and significant places to carry out world evangelism. Look out your back window. The fields are white unto harvest. Look over the hill. It's white. Now, I long for the day when mission candidates will stand before their church mission committees and say, I want to do cross-cultural evangelism among an unreached people group. And the missions committee will smile and nod approvingly and then utter the famous line heard round the world at fast food counters. Will that be for here or to go? Will that be working with Muslims here or working with Muslims there? Uh, I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, about a week ago. And there are 18 million people there. And I walked into part of that city that has the largest concentration of Japanese in the world apart from Japan. Want to work with Japanese? You can go to Sao Paulo, too. Want to work with Japanese? You can do this in many places in California. We can do it in so many places, but we must do it. Who will stay and be my witnesses? Those who stay in the United States may now go out as lights among the nations within our own borders. Push out a little from the shore, Jesus said to a very exhausted Peter after he'd been fishing all night. Push out a little from the shore. Brothers and sisters, push out a little from the shore. Peter grudgingly agreed. And then Jesus said, Now, cast your nets out into the deep waters. Cast your nets out into the deep waters. Peter didn't want to do it. He felt nothing. He felt nothing. He had no desire to do this, but he obeyed. And this is where our wonderful brother Peter is a model for us all. Feels nothing, but he obeys. And then he cast his nets out into the deep, and the fish swam and swirled and whirled and jumped left into the net until the net began to break. Hey, brothers, James and John, come here. And he called his partners and they came. Because when you start pushing off a little from the shore and you fish in the deep waters, you need partners. Don't go alone. I would never go to the mosque and pray like this alone. You need partners. And that mosque is the deep, 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 deep waters in this country. 
Muslim, Hindu, Chinese evangelism. This is a spiritual conflict. There are power encounters in these places. Chuck Kraft heard about what we were doing from a Fuller Theological Seminary. He heard what we were doing and praying around the mosque. And he said, pray over your family. Pray over your life. Pray over your work. Pray over your life. Because you are piercing the darkness. Some of the greatest darkness in the world when you pray around that mosque. And we went, we're just having shish kebab. That's all we're doing. And it really, it really woke us up. Hey, what you're doing is serious. You're penetrating the darkness with light. Make sure that you have partners that go with you. You know, the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth made the seas also. And he knows where the fish are swimming. And he knows how to bring them from the farthest shores to this place. And he knows how to make them leap into your nets. Remember, those who fish with tears will reap with songs of joy. And those who sow as well. Cast your nets out into the deep cross-cultural waters of Newhall, California. Of USC, of UCLA, of Cal State Northridge, of Cal Arts. What a great place. College of the Canyons, what a great place. I remember Keith Lusk, who went to this, this school in the mid-70s, had a Bible study at Cal Arts. And there were internationals in his Bible study. I went to College of the Canyons for two years. And I remember meeting internationals at that place at that time from Papua New Guinea, where my friend Keith Lusk went and later where he died. Or after, he, he, he was there, got sick, and came back here and died. So, come follow him and be fishers of foreign and exotic fish. In Valencia and in, in Ventura. My brothers and sisters, who will stay and be my witness? And who will welcome the uttermost parts of the earth here? You know, it's, it's, um, I think it's difficult to be a witness here. I, I don't have enough time, but I was going to say, if you were to go overseas, what are the steps that you need to take? Well, first, you have to have a heart to go overseas. And that's really hard to have. God needs to give this to you. You have to have an awareness where Turkey is and where Kazakhstan is and how much they need the gospel. You have to pray about going there. You have to get a passport. You have to get a visa. You have to raise prayer support. Each one of these things is like a step. And there's Kazakhstan over there. It's, a, it's right by the door. It's so far away. Each step is a whole week process. Raise financial support. Build up spiritual health. Build up physical health. Take shots and immunizations. Start learning about the culture. Start learning about the language. Buy an airline ticket. Bum, 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 bum. All of these things. And that's half of my list. But you know, the Lord has taken these Kazakhs and Turks and he has had them do the same process to come here. And we don't even meet them halfway. It's awful. It's terrible. It's a scandal in our church. And most of the universities in the United States, according to Johnny Tatum from the Association of Christian Ministries to Internationals, said that only 1% to 3% of the international students on American campuses are reached ever while they're here with, by any Christian in word or deed, any Christian message. Only 1% to 3%. And look what the Lord has done. All the pain and steps that he took to have them come voluntarily here. Now we know that some people come involuntarily here too. We have to meet them also. We can, it's amazing because we have this wonderful opportunity. You don't have to learn a second language. You don't have to get a passport. You don't have to get shots and immunizations for you to meet these people. It's almost too easy. And you know what? That's the problem. It's too, it's too easy. It's too easy for us. I think it's harder to be a cross-cultural witness in your own country when you don't have to be 
than in another country where you obviously have to be. You don't have a choice. When you go to Japan, like I went to Japan, I couldn't walk around and speak English all the time because nobody understood me. I had to learn that language. I had to get a passport. I had to do those things. But in my own country, I don't have to do any of those things. I don't want to do any of those things. Right? It's much harder here because it's your own food. It's your own culture. It's your own television. It's your own family and friends. It's your own everything. And you don't have to go outside because this is your country and you're so comfortable here. And me too. It's very difficult to go outside your own country when you're in your own country. But we have to do it. Do you remember the international woman at the well? Jesus shared about living water with her and she believed. Where were, where were the disciples at this time? getting food in the local town. And they came back and they were really hungry. And they said, come on, master, let's eat. Because they couldn't start eating until their master had eaten, right? And Jesus said, don't you see this? This woman believes in me now. And she went back and got the whole town and they're coming out here. And they conclude at the end of chapter four, something the disciples didn't get in the whole time that Jesus was on the earth. And that was this. They said, these Samaritans said, now we know that truly you are the savior of the world, of the world. And they didn't get that. You know why? Because they were hungry. And Jesus took a lesson right behind them and he said, look, look right here. The fields are white for harvest. They're coming before I've even called them. I, they're coming before you've even been sent out. And they're flocking here and they're flocking here. And they kept saying, Master, would you please take the first bite? Would you please bless the food? And they were so hungry that they couldn't see what the Lord was doing. And then Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food is this thing. This man truly is the savior of the world. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, who will stay and be my witness? Did you know that there are 52 countries that severely restrict or forbid missionary activity and all 52 countries are represented here in the United States on our campuses if you take all the people in the world who have not heard the gospel according to the U.S. Center for World Mission, 82% of them cannot be reached by traditional means. All of them are represented on our campuses. The international student population in the United States over a 10-year period is greater in number than the population of 87 of the 237 countries and territories of the world. Of the world. Who will stay and be my witnesses? I have a lot of statistics. I will not give those to you now. I'm kind of whipping through my notes a little bit here. But I want to ask you if you will stay. What is your task in reaching the world for Christ the Lord? I don't know. That's not my job. It's not my business. You plant the seed, I'll water. You water, I'll plant the seed. It doesn't really matter. I don't know what the Lord wants you to do. But if you are here, if you are here, will you be all here, as Jim Elliott said, Will you stay intentionally with focus, with purpose, with dedication for the glory of God to be his witness among the nations? If you know the heart of God, you know that this is the number one thing of our God, is that the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all the nations. For the verse you learned when you were a baby in church, practically a, a baby, is for God so loved. Don't be here without a purpose. Be here for a reason. Let it be global and let it be a kingdom purpose. You will inevitably encounter internationals here. You can't get away from it. You have your political ideas, perhaps. Make sure you have your theological ideas. Let your theology always inform your politics. 
Nobody's telling you how to vote. But first, vote for the kingdom of God. First, vote for the kingdom of God. Will you pray for those that are here? Will you befriend them? Will you show them the gospel and then let them see the gospel in you? Finishing the task of world evangelization is a light burden. It's an easy yoke if we all take up our part. We can do it, said Samuel J. Mills on a campus in Massachusetts in 1802, if we will. We can do it if we will. When God takes your order, or more correct theologically, when God gives you his orders, will it be for here or to go? Be where God wants you to be. And wherever you are, be all there for the nations. If God wants you to be here, say to him, Here I am, Lord. I will stay and be your witness. I hope I haven't scared you this morning. You know, I get so impassioned by this. I'm really kind of a nice guy. Um, and I'd love to talk with any of you afterwards, but I, I can't tell you how much I think this means to the Lord. And as we read, I, the, the weeks before I came here, I was reading my devotions, and everywhere, on every page in Isaiah, I was reading, and the Lord loves the nations and the ones that have come to Israel and now to us. Blessings on you. I hope this campus will be an IHOP, your church, and your own heart. I love you all. May the Lord bless you. Amen.